My full name is, by the way, Fouad, and it really means the heart of a nomad. Welcome, investor. We're having another episode of the Passive Income Adventures, where today we are fueled by commercial real estate. It doesn't matter what type of investing you want to do, but investing is really important if you want to get out of the rat race and live your best life having your own passive income adventures. So today we have B. Dwight on the show. I would say his first name, but he tells people to stop trying. So we just call him BD. And he is farther along this journey than I am. And I find that is probably one of the most valuable things that I can do when I am working on a project is to spend time with people who are better at that thing than I am because BD is going to share his story about how he has been able to quit his job and retire on passive income and how he's been able to get control of his time back and really plan out what his life looks like from a very intentional standpoint. He has an engineering background and he is able to split up his day to get at the most important priorities first and then have plenty of time left over to enjoy spending time with his friends and family or working on hobbies or traveling to places that he enjoys. So I found that BD, when he started coming to my club, very quiet, but then he would say something and it was obvious that he knew what he was talking about and he had a lot of great wisdom to share with the club. And so we had a call one day and I said, just tell me what you got going on. Tell me how you were able to quit your job. And he just told me some really inspiring stories about what he's doing with his time. I know that you're going to enjoy listening to BD's story just like I have and that you will find it an inspiring guide along your path to having more passive income adventures. Thank you for joining me today on the show. And now on to BD. Thanks for being with us today, B. Dwight. B has gotten out of the rat race and he is here to share his story so that you can learn how to do the same thing that he's done. So I will let you introduce yourself, B, and tell us all about your background and basically how you got to where you are today. And thank you so much for being with us. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, Emma, for the opportunity. It's definitely to be part of network as well. And for the opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit more about the different journeys people go through in the search of, I guess, their goals. And it's not really, what's the song? It's not really the destination. It's really the trip. And it's true like that because you never feel like you've reached the destination. You're always yeah. in a pursuit of, hey, what's the next thing to make the trip more exciting? So I'll give you a bit of background. My full name is, by the way, Fouad. And it really means the heart of a nomad, but it's too long. And when I started getting into real estate conferences, one time they gave me a name tag and it was too small to fit my whole name in it. So I ended up writing BD. And then from that point on, everybody in real estate started calling me BD. So it really just picked from that point on. And I said, hey, that's simple enough. We can go ahead and use it. But I'll give you a quick background about myself. I went to school in computer engineering in Boston. I've always enjoyed the techie stuff. It was always fascinating. I was always like into math and analysis and engineering definitely scratched that itch for me. And started my career working in IBM as a design engineer, working on like chips and advanced technology. But the net story is I spent about 24 years in my career in tech, and that was really my main line of work. But it wasn't that I actually stumbled into real estate by pure coincidence. And honestly, graduating college, I meet my manager day one at IBM and he asked me where I'm living. I said, Hey, I just moved here to Burlington, Vermont. And I rented a two bedroom apartment is no, you should really buy. So he connects me with his real estate agent and the mortgage broker. And, and for me, it's like, I've never bought a house. I've never been through that process. I have no idea what I'm going through. Eventually I ended up with a three bedroom town and I ended up renting two rooms and renting two rooms. And this was back in 1997, actually paid for my mortgage. <laughs> And it was actually, my mortgage payment was even cheaper than my rent, but 
out of pocket, it was actually zero by renting two rooms. And that's what they call now house hacking. So it was like one of those things like, wow, I'm not a real estate guy. I'm a tech guy working in tech, but here I am living for free. So it was a nice thing to have. Fast forward for years, I just realized that, oh my God, the value of the property is increasing. I'm building equity, which is almost like funny money because you're not really doing anything other than you're living yeah. in the house. And all of a sudden you're just building equity. And even though, you know, you're working in tech and you have a decent salary, but you are getting taxed quite high and it just almost money comes in and money gets to get spent like a salary. So it's in, out, in, out. And the more money you make, the more you improve your car and you go on, you want to spend more. But for me, it was just at some point I realized that this real estate thing is actually building me wealth and preserving it because I cannot actually touch it. I cannot touch the money and spend it and go do other stuff with it. Yet my job was bringing me the security and the stability in terms of pay to be able to afford the various things. So started getting my interest there in, in real estate early on. So that's really how the journey started. So it was always, Hey, I'm doing full-time work in tech and I'm always kind of owning properties, selling a property, upgrading into another property, have an increase in value and turn it into a rental property and, and so forth. So that's really how it started. Nothing like I wanted to be a real estate investor, but I just realized that over time, investing in real estate has created this side wealth thing that I wasn't really thinking about. It wasn't really until I would say in the dot com, like anybody else, which was back in 2001, I thought you start making all this money in stocks and everything else. And then boom, overnight it vanishes. That's why back in 2021, when people were making money in crypto, I was like, I think I've seen that episode before 20 years ago. <laughs> so I stayed away from that kind of crypto. I was like, I don't understand it. I'm not really going to put there and risk money. That's not really my gambling. I want to continue to invest in real estate. But really the journey for me, I would say in terms of real estate in the teens, I started investing more passively. So rather than buying and renting, which at some point it starts to get pain, especially if you start growing your portfolio. You're like, you know what? Maybe I don't want this whole tenants and toilet situations. It's just too much for me. What are the other ways I can take my money and invest it? Some, and that's how I started discovering passive investment in, into syndication. And I'll tell you the first time I wanted to put money in syndication, I analyzed it and I looked at it and it's still just hitting that button on sending that first $50,000 wire. Your heart just drops. You're like, oh, what if that person is not true? What if that, you know, this whole thing is a lie? What if it failed? There's always that thing in your mind. Now, these days we're sending as part of what we're doing a lot more than $50,000. And I don't really think about it twice. It just becomes more of a second nature, but just to give you a feeling about the journey that you go through when you start doing passive investing and you have to rely on people. But through the journey of passive investing, I really started understanding, hey, what does it take to really find good deals? And hey, what are the markets they're investing in? So instead of just very quickly dive into the numbers, which is as an engineer, I just want to crunch numbers right away. I start to really understand what are some of the other things in the deals that actually made sense other than just the numbers on the deal, what's being presented. And that's when I switched over to really diving a little bit deeper and trying to understand and expand my knowledge. You got to understand the markets, you got to understand the job growth. You got to understand the operator themselves. That's probably the biggest risk in, in, in the whole equation, what kind of background checks I can do on them. And then I go in and meet other investors and ask around. And it wasn't really until I came into your network, I found out that you guys already have done a lot of that work. It's like, yeah. wow, it's refreshing that I stumbled across this and I built up my own systems on my own. 
And yet there's a whole lot of other people that are actually doing it more in the community, which was quite a pleasant surprise, actually. You touched on a couple of things there that I that are really important. If you talk to investors, you listen to investors on podcasts, they all say, if one, I wish I had started sooner. So you jumped into it before you quite knew what was going on. So you don't have that that you can look back on and maybe wish you'd done too terribly differently. The other is house hacking. So when my kids ask me, mom, how do I get into real estate? The first thing I tell them is buy a house and live in your own ugly basement and fix it up while you live there, while you're renting out the nicer upstairs. And it's the easiest way to get in. Even a beginner first time home buyer can do it. My nephew's doing it right now where he rents out. It was a five bedroom house. He got on a first time home buyer, I guess loan special that, that they're running with low down payment. He rents out four of those bedrooms, lives in one and basically pays nothing for his mortgage, opted out of college. And he says, I live with the expenses of a college student, but with a grown up job. And it's amazing the amount of progress that people who are house hacking and starting young are able to make over like someone like me who started a lot later. So you got both of those things out of the way pretty quickly while you were still working a high paid job, like a, a great career and then socking away money, figuring out how to get more houses, figuring out how to access your equity. So it's a common story yet in our network, but at the same time, there are very few people who are actually doing this. It took me a long time to get to that point that you just described because you'd hear people doing it, but you didn't really quite know how. So you just laid it out. Exactly. That's, that's what everybody says they would do if they could go back and do it differently. Indeed. And I was thrown into it by coincidence and I was always interested in numbers and not just the engineering numbers, but also money numbers. And, and that's why later on in my tech career, I went to do an MBA to really understand the economics between 2000 and 2003. And then I went into the business aspect of the tech where I'm running the P&L of a business line or a business unit and so forth. So even though I was still working on the techie stuff, but it was definitely, it was money and expenses and income and looking at markets and everything else. So real estate was almost like that little mini project that I had that was kind of interesting, very hands-off, especially as I discovered more passive investing. It was like way more hands-off, but it really became for me a game changer when I understood taxes. And I think that's what a lot of people are not being taught is how the tax system works, your active income and what your active income getting taxed as. And let me tell you, as a tech professional living in California, it was just, Hammered. It, it was painful to see it. But until I understood it, I was like, oh my God, I'm spending so much of my time here. I'm earning a lot of money, but then I'm paying so much in taxes. So what's my net re return after all my sweat equity versus here may go my passive investment where, hey, I made good money in the company stock I'm at. They gave me a, an award in stock. And so I sell that stock and then I dump it into this real estate vehicles that continue to grow. And that's really for me was really the big turning point is at some point I figured I was like, me being in tech, putting a lot of money into 401k, getting invested, whatever the 401k package that the company gives you, which is usually very limited, it's so much of my net worth is tied into the stock, including the company stock that they're giving me. I'm not complaining, it made money, but it was extremely volatile. And it was really hard to really assess what your net worth is or how could you turn that net worth to generate cash flow for you. So going back and looking at the finances, and you don't need to be an NBA to figure that out. You just look at your income, you look at your expenses, you figure out, hey, what do you really need to live on every month? And if you're not a big spender, if you don't get yourself into too many unnecessary loans, you're like, hey, is this luxury or is this really needed? And you're like, okay, I need this. I need to pay the mortgage. I need to pay for the car. I need to pay the insurance. You go figure out what your income and expenses. 
And then you're like, you start categorizing your other expenses. You're like, is this necessary or this is really luxury? And then you come up with a number. And that number for you is, is what I call get out of jail, dirt free, set yourself free number. It's not like I have to continue to save so much money and at some point I'm rich enough, I'm going to live off my savings. That methodology doesn't really work. It's just figuring out, hey, here's my lifestyle. Here's what I absolutely need to live on. And hey, this is how much cash flow I need to be able to passively generate every month to cross that barrier. And once you're across that, you're free. You can, I call it fire the boss. And yeah. that's exactly what I did in 2019. I got to the point where I'm like, oh, I don't really need this extra stress in my life. I really want to focus on my health. Tech work is good, but tech work is travel and being away from the kids. And you really put your heart and soul into it. And at the end of the day, a company can tell you goodbye any second. I've been in a situation where I was in those board meetings when we're deciding about Riff. And just seeing basically the CFO going in through a list and just marking people off. And I'm like, no, these people you should keep. These are the good people. But for him, it's just, it was a name and a number, a name and a number. And so you're really nothing to a company, a big company, let's just say, other than a name and a number. So it was shocking to go through that. And I was like, you know what? I really need to get to this whole independent thing. So if I want to choose to work in tech, I want to work in my own way. I want to work not as an employee. I want to work doing the type of things that I want. So I'm still interested in tech and I still advise a lot of startups and techs. And I was fortunate enough. I've been through three different startups. I would say two failed and one, one actually had an exit where it got bought by Cisco. And it wasn't tremendous amount of money because at the end of the day, you still get taxed on it heavily. But it just made me realize that, hey, this whole tech career, yeah, you might be able to have a job and you're running the business decision on the life affecting 3,000 people and P&L of profit and loss on a 300 million. And you feel really good that you're in big control. But at the end of the day, you're just a number for that company. And you're just an employee that any day your services might not be needed. So I was really with the focus. I was like, okay, I'm going to continue to do my good job. But in the past, I want to go back and build up my passive stream of income up until 2019, where I got to the point where I was like, okay. Now I have enough to just cover the basics. I want to have luxury life, cover the basics. I want to toss all the cars in the air and I want to be able to pick and build a deck of what I want my life to be. And it's not, oh, I want to go and live in Hawaii or I want to go live on a beach somewhere. It was more about, okay, what's more important in my life? And I've had a health bump along the way that really made me realize that if you don't have good health, you have nothing. <laughs> Your family, everything, you might not be there for them, especially if it's a serious health scare. So it was like, okay, maybe health is number one. I want to focus on my health, my eating, my working out, living a good lifestyle, but not just from the physical part, but also from the mental part. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of mental drain when you're in corporate and it's not as easy. The hardest nights I had to spend is the next day when I knew I had to go back and lay people off. And you're like, it's not really their fault. It's not really their fault. Management did a decision. It took the company in the wrong direction. I wasn't happy about, but now numbers can't justify. You got to go back to Wall Street and cave basically and saying, oh, we're laying off a lot of people. And it's funny because we're living through that right now. If you look at the Google just laid off 12,000 people and you're hearing tons of layoff here in, in the Bay Area in terms of tech. So my heart goes out for those people. At the same time, it's probably, it's a good awakening for them to really realize how could they be in control of their life and how could they get to that financial freedom and it's not that hard. It's really just about consistent work in the right direction, getting the knowledge, network, figuring out, hey, how do we actually 
cut down my expenses to what I call the bare minimum? And how can I generate enough cash flow to cover that bare minimum? And anything after that is just bonus. If I end up striking a deal and we're making, let's say, 100000 on that deal, that's a nice bonus for the year. Yeah. But again, big part about what I did as I built the card, I was like, I really want to dive into more into real estate. So I went and did commercial real estate investment training. Mm-hmm. I got my certificate. I worked for a real estate fund manager basically for free. Just, hey, I'll give you my time. You give me stuff to do. That's really where you learn. It's really not just the conceptual part, but the hands-on. How to put the property under contract and how to go run the due diligence on the actual property and, and, and how to go talk to banks and how to get funding for it. And, and that part really just with my background in, in, in academia and business and everything else, I was able to piece things and get up the speed very quickly. And slowly started convincing to invest more on active deals as well as on passive deals to the point a lot of people say, hey, we like what you're doing in these investment, in these passive deals. Can you tell us every time you're investing in a deal, point us to the direction of that operator so we can invest alongside you? And they literally asked me two questions. They said, are you investing in a deal and how much you're investing in a deal? <laughs> and a lot of them, people that I have a relation with from many years in tech, they want to invest, but they don't know how. They, they don't want to get it to learn it and all that, but they're like, Hey, if it's good enough for you to put your money, it's good enough for me to put my money. That's how the journey started. And from that, we went into the building the fund and it's really a fund, the fund and everything else, which we'll talk about it in a few, but I want to give you a chance to, to take this. Into the- That's how a fund is born is you investing your money and your friends start asking you questions and you say, okay, we'll put this together. So I feel like because you're farther down this journey than I am, you said a couple of things that really caught my attention because I've heard a lot of people in the investing space, whether it's real estate or any other asset class, talk about the scalability and running your business hands-on. So in, especially in this podcast, most of the people who are coming along this passive income journey are entrepreneurs. They start some sort of a real estate related business or some sort of cash flowing business. And I'm always saying you don't need to be an entrepreneur to become an investor. You, if you have a high paid job that you like doing and that you're good at, then just keep investing that money passively. Cause I would hear people say my single family portfolio got too big and it wasn't passive anymore. And to get the kind of income I needed off those single families, it was becoming more of a job, part-time job, maybe even a full-time job have what people have described to me. And so I heard them loud and clear. And I said, I don't want my portfolio to get to the point where I am burned out, worn out and tired before I make a shift. So I made the shift sooner by listening to people like you telling me exactly what you just said there. And I felt, okay, I can get a couple of these things because they get up and running really fast and they cash flow right away. But I just knew I never wanted to scale that to the point where it really was meeting all my expenses like you described. I said, okay, what are you shifting to? What are you pivoting to once you start to get overwhelmed? And I'll just do that now. I'll just skip the overwhelm part and go straight into that. For me, it was commercial real estate, but you've done this in a little bit of a different order. Would love to hear what you're up to now because you started out high paid tech, doing some house hacking, getting a portfolio, getting overwhelmed and working and getting to the point where you could quit your job. And it's like, then you became an entrepreneur in your quote unquote retirement, where now you are starting a fund and doing some more active real estate deals. You discovered the beauty and the ease of passive investing. And now that you have more time, tell us what that time looks like. Cause I know you spend a lot of time on your active investments on your fund and as well as your volunteering and you're giving back. So can you describe to us what you're working on right now and what your life looks like right now, if we could capture that moment along the journey? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, when it came down to building the deck of cards, I was like, health is number one. I have teenage kids. I want to be able to spend time with these teenage kids. So that was number two. 
And then I was like, okay, what I want to do things that I like. And one of them was really real estate. And it's funny because when you get into real estate, there's so many different things you can get into real estate from being able to put wholesaling to this, to this. So I was like, okay, let me try different things and see what is it that I like and what is it I don't like. And I'll tell you, I started doing a value add. We take a 2000 square foot home and increasing the size to 4,000 square feet, increasing its value. Your cost to build up is at $500 per square foot and net in terms of retail at $2,000 a square foot in the San Francisco market. But then it's like dealing with contractors and dealing with cities and permits and all that. I was like, no, too active, too much work, not really the type of thing I want to do. So you get to try different things. And I was like, okay, maybe I get into Airbnb. I took one of my units, I converted into Airbnb and then just to see what it's like to be like an Airbnb host. And then I was like, ah, no, I'm probably not going to scale that business. So try things out when you do have the time to go figure out, Hey, what kind of stuff you want your life to be, you go try different things. Things might sound good on a podcast or things might sound good on somebody who's trying to teach you this new real estate hack. But when you have the time, ability to restructure what you want to do, you go try different things and then you find out what is it that you want to do. But for me, I knew for sure I wanted to continue to invest passively into private placements, mainly because my experience has been uh, if you are in the right deal in terms of the right operator, the right team running the deal, the deal is in good markets where you know the economics are looking good. And you look at the numbers in the deal and the numbers making sense. You're like, you know what? There's a lot more money making potential in this deal. It's a no brainer. And when you start getting 20% plus per year annualized, let me tell you, nobody in the stock market can get you these type of things, <laughs> at least from a consistent standpoint. Not consistently. Uh, you see some of them to peak out at some of those numbers. And some of my stock friends will be like, I'm making 24% in SPY. I'm like, well, <laughs> over how many years? What does that average out to? Maybe this year was 24, but real estate consistently delivers me 15 to 20 plus percent returns, even during low times. Yeah. And that's why I keep telling people it's, well, these are value add deals. You're buying something below market value. You're getting it to market value and then selling it. But everybody's, oh, the market is going down. So what if it goes down by 5% while you're owning it, as long as you're buying it 60 cents on the dollar? Mm -hmm. So if you sell it at a 95 cents, you're still ahead and it's really start to, but I definitely realized that I am not interested in taking on larger projects and becoming mm -hmm. a multifamily syndicator and having no. to do a 300. <laughs> That's not the direction that I wanted to go. Remember I'm approaching this at a point where I wanted to restructure my life and want to mm -hmm. build a deck of cards. So I said, Hey, I enjoy investing. I need to go invest my money. How could we set up a fund that me and other investors can pool our money? and invest larger checks into deals. And when we do that, negotiate better returns. So if a deal has an eight, a 6% preferred return and a 70-30 split, can we negotiate a, an 8% preferred return and an 80-20 split? Because we're writing a bigger checks. Each one of us might be putting 50 or 100K, but when you aggregate 10 of us writing a million dollar check, now there's a lot of momentum there. So that's when we kicked off Bluestone flagship investors. And the whole philosophy is, Hey, I'm going to do the due diligence for these type of deals anyway, to invest my own money. Hey, if you other investors want to come along for the ride and invest your money. So now we can negotiate for a better return. And that return goes back to everybody. It doesn't go back to me. Actually, it's a win-win for everybody. And that's really how it, it got traction. So a lot of my friends that I was one of them when I was in tech, very busy, don't have the time nor the know-how, nor the network, nor be able to run the due diligence on the type of deal. They love it. They say, you're sourcing us the best deals. You're finding these best deals. 
you're curating them, you're rating and ranking them, and then you're getting a subscribe. And that's kind of part of the deal is it's almost like a glove service. I wish when I was actually working in tech in 16, 17, 18, somebody did that for me. I actually had to manually do that work. And like I told you, it took a lot of hesitation, but a lot of my friends that have been with me all along, even not even investing in the fund, investing in what I had invested, I'm going to call it, they shadow what I did. They literally right now are in the fund. And every time they comes a deal, they're not interested to know the detail of the deal. They say, are you investing? I said, yes. And they asked me how much you're investing. I said, hundred thousand or 50,000. And they literally match what I'm doing because they've already seen that over and over again. That it's like, I'm not going to put my own money <laughs> into a bad deal. And, uh, and that's how I look at it. So really, even though it's a fund and it's registered by the SEC and we have to go through all the formalities and the accounting and the bookkeeping and everything else, it is for accredited investors only. And the way we really bring it in every time there's a deal, each investor can choose how much they want to subscribe for that deal. So it's not like a blind pool fund. It's mm -hmm. not like they send money in and I'm investing it on their behalf. No, the actual investors are in the driver's seat on a deal by deal basis to decide how much money and which deal they want to select. So it's quite versatile in a sense. I think it's a great product. Think about it as you log into E-Trade. Somebody kind of curates, he, here's the best stock that you should buy. And by the way, I'm buying those stocks myself. If you want to come in and group buy, maybe we get a better <laughs> discount deal and boom, they go click buy. They don't have to sign too much paperwork. They don't have to go through a hundred page PPM. Yeah. They only have to do that once when they get set up, but it's really streamlined. And at the end of the day, they get a single K1 that reflects all their investments. So. I'll tell you, I wish in the days when I was busy and I was a tech professional, somebody kind of came to me with this type of value proposition. It would have definitely made my life a whole lot easier. I definitely agree that some of the technology platforms that we're looking at, as well as the changes that the SEC has made over the last decade, and even just over the last couple of years, have really democratized this crowdfunding process into the fact where the SEC now has a crowdfund option. If you want to take very, really small investments, things like $500, $5,000. And so we really have a lot of options now when it comes to getting involved in any kind of investing where it's completely passive, could be real estate, could be businesses, could be whatever it is, but we have the offerings in front of us and for accredited investors who just, it's all public. You can just look at it. If you're not accredited, there are fund managers who can accept unaccredited capital. I just want to put that out there because I feel, I feel like for many years we were robbed of the opportunities to get involved in different kinds of investments because we weren't even allowed to know that they existed. I'm here to say, if you're not an accredited investor, there are options. You just have to have a relationship with the people who are offering those before they offer them. So it's on you to reach out, to introduce yourself, to tell them what your financial background is, to tell them what your knowledge is. There are opportunities out there, but most of us choose to focus on the accredited investor because the SEC just makes it so much easier for that. But there, there are options. I just want to get that out of the way and just try and listen to as many podcasts and go to as many networking events and meet as many operators as you can and get out there, put yourself out there, introduce yourself and get on those mailing lists because that's the only way an unaccredited investor is going to get access, not to the same opportunities, but to the same types of opportunities that accredited investors are getting in funds like these. So I just want to put that out there, but I also want to say congratulations for skipping over the syndicator part because I, this is the same thing on my single family 
portfolio, they would say, you could just go skip straight to commercial real estate. And so I started syndicating deals and then I was hanging out with other syndicators and they were saying the same thing. Each one takes so long to manage. It's burning me out. I can't really scale because every property I bring into the portfolio takes the same amount of time, whether it's 10 doors or 110 doors. And they were switching over to fund management as a way to make a bigger impact, raise more money, do more deals. And even though they were spending a similar amount of time on their businesses, the returns were multiplying way much higher, just like it happened when I was running a small business, then became a real estate investor and singles. And then I became a commercial investor and then switching over to fund manager is a way to just really focus on that time and understanding that being a syndicator is being an entrepreneur. It's being still in a different kind of rat race. And like I said, congratulations to you for recognizing that pretty quickly and shifting your focus to something you were already doing and just wanting to help your friends along. That's the genesis of the best products. And I, but I, I do want to ask though, I'm shifting gears here just a little bit. I do want to ask about your volunteer time because I think that moment when you first told me about that, it's like the club was born out of exactly what you're saying. I wanted a network of people. I have my own money to invest. They have their own money to invest. Everybody's talking. Nobody knows where to put it, what to do, due diligence. Is it a good deal or is it not? That's exactly where the club was born and where we met. But then you told me that how much time you spend volunteering and it was incredibly moving. So I would love for you to share with the listener that side of your passive income adventure? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'll tell you, I've always had a, a soft spot for education. And I was born in a third world country and I was quite fortunate to be born to a family that was able to send me to private schools you know, where I learned four languages and ended up being accepted in top schools in London as, as well as the US and go on with my college education and so forth and my master's. And so, so it was definitely a soft spot for being fortunate to be born in these circumstances as a disadvantage in a third world country, but yet have enough of the facility to be able to get the best education. And <clears throat> I realized that not everybody in my neighborhood where I grew up or in had the same facilities available for them. And in some sense, I've always had that soft spot for teaching. So opportunity presented itself and I've always envisioned myself, Hey, when I retire, maybe I want to go and go teach little kids in third world country. That was always on the back thing. You know how people say, I want to go live on the beach or I want to go this. For me, it was always like, maybe I'll go to a third world country. I spent three months and I go teach little kids some things that I know. So opportunity presented itself to, to teach little children in nonprofit for essential life skills, teaching them various different things. So I jumped on the opportunity. And like I said, when I was redesigning the deck of cards, I said, you know what? Even though there is the for-profit element in terms of real estate and all that, instead of me going active or spending too much time to go active, become a syndicator, I want to trade up some of that time to, to do things good back. I was fortunate. It's time really just to give back. It's no longer just about me, me, me. And that's really where I took the opportunity to, to jump on. So I donate about 25% of my time to a youth program where we teach kids about public speaking. We teach them about debate. And my favorite topic, we teach them about smart money and investing. And I love that moment when I'm teaching nine-year-olds about assets and liabilities and, and their eyes just open up. Again, some are just still playing with their pencils or whatever, or waiting yeah. until I have to give them the candy, <laughs> but you can definitely see few of them, like they get really into it. And it's definitely very fulfilling for me. At the same time, I've really enjoyed having kids, especially my kids when they were like, ages six to 11, that was definitely 
the sweet spot where I really enjoyed having. When they get to teenagers, it's a different kind of struggle. Yeah. That's what I'm learning how to adapt to right now. But yeah, I'm really teaching the students between ages eight and 11. And it's just a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun together. We play games. But at the same time, we're actually learning important things. And like I said, I'm trying to also help write that curriculum to advance it for students that are 13, 14, 15, to teach them about tax system, to teach them about retirement system, to teach them about real estate, really teach them about, hey, what does it take to become an entrepreneur? I feel like I've done a lot in my life in terms of being part of a startup or running a business unit at a publicly traded company that I can give back. And I don't want to go sit there and coach people and adults how to do it, but I actually feel like there's a lot of giving back to the next generation. And it's something that I really enjoy doing. And I feel it's a good thing to be able to give back, especially for the ones that are less fortunate. The program that we do, even though part of it is for profit for where other parents pay for the students to come in, but then anybody that's section eight or anybody that can't afford to actually pay gets in for free. We also teach virtually. We taught about 1800 students in India last year over Zoom. And we're trying to find more partners in third world countries where we can deliver the learning because, hey, if we get about four kids from San Mateo or Palo Alto to pay for the expenses for the class, why not add another six or 10 from a third world country that can't afford and give them that experience? Everybody should have the right to be able to learn and the right to be able to access this. And stuff that we're teaching is definitely non-STEM and it's something that's not really in the curriculum that, that a kid would learn in school, especially at that age. I have a lot of kids. I'm a homeschool mom and I applaud your time and effort because I know from my own experience in school, the most impactful classes I had were the ones that were like a program that somebody was running in a public school, like a like a pilot or something like Young Business Owners of America was taught in one of my classes. I was able to take a couple of things like that. And those are really what shifted my mindset. And I often look back and say, where did this entrepreneurial investor mindset come from? It must have been early because I don't even remember what exactly what happened. I think it was a series of events being exposed to people who were doing it in my adult network from organizations, from school, from church, from my parents, friends, whatever it was, but also some of these programs in school that really helped me look at things in a little bit different way, a little bit off the beaten path. And they seemed so useful to me. It wasn't like you're sitting in a, in an advanced math class going, when am I ever going to use this? I don't want to be an engineer or a math teacher, but they told me how to take it. So I took it, but then you go into a class like that and you're, I'm just furiously taking notes going, wow, this is all actionable. I could put this on my babysitting business right now. So those, it's, it was just such a beautiful story when you told it to me for the first time. Thank you for your service, basically. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for sharing with us the road that you took to be able to get to that place of being able to have the time to spend on what you value doing. It looks different for all of us. And now I know where to go when I want to add that nonprofit arm to my investing club so we can get this information out there to like teenagers and young adults are really what I'm targeting. So take over where at the age you left off and see if we can't do something along those lines. That's one of my dreams when we get to the point where we're a little farther down this road that we can start some sort of a nonprofit effort to train people who are ready to hear this stuff and just are looking for some direction, but can't afford high price masterminds and things like that. It's just definitely a similar type of thing that, that drives me from an educational background. So now I know the resource to help me get off the ground. And like what you said earlier, it's all about the journey and not the destination. And so we don't want to put out there, hey, BD just BD has retired on his passive income. And now he is driving a private jet around and living the dream. 
Tell us what your journey looks like right now. What is it that still drives you to keep staying on top of things, watching your investments and still growing? Because it's not like you get to a point in your journey and suddenly everything's easy and you have no more problems and you have no more goals or dreams or destinations. So what is your journey? What's your bucket list item that you're working on right now? Yeah, I'll tell you in the beginning, after you stack your cars, it you start seeing a lot of shiny objects mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it starts to get so distracting. <laughs> To the point where like in the beginning, I was just so overwhelmed. I was like, there's so many things I want to do and it, there's just not enough times. And I was be, I'll be spending like 60, 80 hours a week working on all these things and actually going crazy. So I had to slow it down and create a rating and ranking thing. I was like, okay, interesting how important it is. Different criteria about, hey, there's a lot of shiny objects. Oh, maybe I should go in and start looking into crypto or maybe I should do this or maybe I should do that. Because you have the time, you have the flexibility in terms of how you want to design your time. So I would say a big part about it, and I've always been proponent on it, is the book that says habits, 10 habits of effective people, is manage your time. The key thing is manage your time. So mm -hmm. I'm diligently running by my calendar and I force myself to stick to the calendar. Because the time every morning when I go review my calendar and I add things, and this is the time when I'm like, okay, is this the right thing to slot into this slot? Is this, I still leave some time for, Hey, go discover new things or go to different meetups or go figure out how to knit. Or actually I recently just bought a guitar and I'm learning watching YouTube's how to play guitar. <laughs> so I have to like start scheduling things. So every time I'm coming up with ideas of things I want to do, I'm trying to ground myself to really use my calendar to really force it. I say, okay, if I want to learn guitar, that means every day I'm going to put 15 minutes in my calendar. And I'm going to be religious to actually go practice on the guitar. And I was surprised how hard it is to actually play guitar. It's not an easy thing. I've always loved Spanish guitar. And my recent trip to Spain, Andalusia, which is the southern part of Spain, mm -hmm. just made me really think about, it's like, I should really learn how to play guitar. So even though I played drums, actually, as a child. So I'm still inclined to music, but so guitar was one of them. So it's really, for me, it's about coming up with all the ideas, rating them, ranking them, making sure they get on the list. But in order for me to do it, I have to put it in the calendar. And that means every morning I wake up and whether you meditate or you pray or you go back and you visit your list, you're like, okay, is this what would make a good day? You know, here's the things that I have to do. Here's the things that I like to do. Here's the things that I'm going to make sure that I'm including my priorities of things that I said I want to do, whether I promised somebody to do something or take my daughter to, to see a baseball game or whatever. So okay. I got to live through my commitments first yeah. and rebuild the schedule. So for me, honestly, every day is different. I do have a routine and my routine is waking up, looking at the calendar, figuring out how the day is going to go and run it. It doesn't mean that, Hey, if things happen and I have to go back and change it, we'll go back and change it. Nothing wrong. No boss is going to get mad or, or somebody will be upset, but it's definitely nice to have that flexibility. I'm trying to do a lot more networking in real mm -hmm. estate. I definitely feel like real estate is one of those things where really you need to network, really need to meet people. It's like, wow, coming into your club, I ended up networking with these awesome people and they're all doing their own networking and they're all sharing different experiences. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's huge. I definitely would need to travel a lot more in terms of networking, mm -hmm. like going to different conferences. So trying to get a little bit more rigid about, okay, let me look my calendar for the year, figure out where I have to be in, in what particular days. And go to these ev events with a, go a goal in mind. Network. There's a whole art of networking. I don't consider myself expert at it, but I listen to different podcasts 
and different people they talk about networking is like, go there with a purpose, write down your purpose, write down your goal. And then while you're there, do what you said that your goal is. And at the end, when you're done, follow up with the other people, go back and say, hey, did I meet my goal for the trip? And it's amazing because every time you network, every time you do something, you stumble across newer things. In the more recent network, we stumbled across a car wash investment. So I was like, wow, really cool. Never thought about a car wash investment. Now, all of a sudden, I see all these car wash investments popping all over the place. You know how it is. When you find out about one thing, all of a sudden, you start noticing it. I was like, oh, maybe we should bring one of those deals into our group to invest in a car wash. Interesting cash flow, interesting time. And then doing a little bit more digging. It's like, hey, what makes a good car wash investments? What are some of the metrics? So for me, it's like constant learning. I really enjoy learning new things. I really enjoy the journey of waking up every day and feel like I'm learning something. And then honestly, I get so much pleasure decimating the information back out. Whatever I learn, regurgitate, and I try to go back and teach my son or try to teach my daughter. And sometimes they run away from me because they don't want to get taught. But I just want to see if what I'm explaining to them, it would make sense because at some point I want to add it in the teaching curriculum and teach the little kids about that kind of stuff. So I use my kids as a guinea pig, the teaching curriculum. It's so inspiring. And knowing that you have so much choice and freedom over how you choose to spend your time, that you're choosing to spend some of it with me right now, with the listener, and also at our weekly club meeting. It's just really an honor to have you participating with your experience, what you have to offer, and have being one of the fund managers who's just looking to network with other people and just get more deal flow. That is exactly how real estate deals get done. So I appreciate you being on with us today, sharing your journey, sharing your story, and sharing what still drives you. You just went on an amazing bucket list trip to Spain. And you're able to you're able to do these things on your own timetable. You just keep an eye on stuff and, and watch out for when you can fit stuff in. And I, I've just been really inspired following along with your journey the past couple of months and seeing somebody who's farther along on this path than I am and just seeing what life can look like for different people who are making the choice to just do something that's a little bit off the beaten path. So thank you, BD, for sharing with us oh, today. Thank you, Emma. And definitely thank you for creating the space for us to meet and network because you meet incredible people and they all share different experiences. And I love learning from other people's experiences, honestly. Mm -hmm. Even I learned a few things from Chris in terms of the analysis and the underwriting, which I consider myself a little bit further advanced in, in, in that department. I was like, oh, okay, that's definitely an interesting way of looking at things that I have not considered looking at. So it's definitely, uh, it's great to network. It's great to learn from others. And at the same time, it's great to share what I know with mm -hmm. others and cross-pollinate. That's really how you get the best of the both worlds. So thank yeah. you for creating the space and thank you for even creating this podcast because I hope your listeners will really see value in, in the different interviews that you do. So thank you for dedicating yourself for the cause. And best of luck on your journey. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. We got some bucket list stuff coming up ourselves. All right. That's how you get stuff done. Want everybody to know like networking is the key. Networking is a one thing in real estate or any kind of investing. You really cannot delegate that. Even your friends who come into your fund and saying, I, I don't have the time to learn about this. I don't have the time to know. They're coming in because they networked with you at some point in their lives and they're leveraging that network in order to get access to great deals. And so networking is really key to getting anything done. And I enjoy having you in my network and having 
the listener in my network. And so we definitely want the listener to reach out to you after the show. Where can they get in touch with you? And more importantly, why should they get in touch with you? Sure, absolutely. I'm happy to always answer any questions for people that have questions about the journey. But I would say our fund is called Bluestone Flagship Investors. And the website is bfi-fund.com. And if they want to reach out for me, actually, I do have my online business card. It's bd10k.com. So bd0k. Dot com. If they download that, they actually can download this contact card, save me, they can text or email. It has all my information there. And typically the investors in the fund are, say, people who have an interest in investing in passively in real estate, but either don't have the know-how or don't have the expertise and they just want to get the access to the deals. Because I'll tell you, we spend significant of time finding deals, analyzing deals, doing the due diligence on the deals. So me, I think it's a tremendous amount of value that we have to do anyway to invest in those deals. And if people are interested in investing alongside, I think that makes the type of people that would be interested in joining our fund. They can come in, they can set up a one-on-one -on -one Zoom call, and we're happy to show them what is it that we do. We're very transparent and open in what we do. Unlike other funds where usually it's 2%, 2 and 20, 2% asset management fee and 20% of the returns. Actually, we're only just doing actually asset management fee uh, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, like I said, we're not really doing it to grow rich. We're doing it to actually invest our own money and get the returns. And the more investors we have, the stronger we are as a group. That's how you found out what you really are. When you're no longer doing it for the money, what are you doing? And that is a perfect example of just you being able to give back to the community. You recognize some benefit yourself and you're going to share that benefit with others. So thank you for being on the show, BD. Be sure to reach out afterwards. Just as a final wrap up, what is your next in-person event that you're attending that if those of us who are there can meet you? Actually, I was planning to go to MFIN in, in text in, I believe it's in the multifamily investment. No, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. The, uh, the one in Houston by Disrupt Equity, actually forgot the name of the event, Yeah, but uh, there might be some challenges right now with travels and, okay. and the kids schedule and their vacations. So, so try, trying to sort it out, but basically it was the, uh, the disrupt equity event in, in Houston uh, okay. is the next event. All right. If you're going to be there, be sure that you look up BD and introduce yourself and say, hello, thanks again for being on the show. And thank you investor for sharing in our storytelling of the path that we're on. And we hope that you have found some value in it on your own path towards having more passive income adventures. Thank you. Thank you. So wasn't that a touching story? How much time he's able to spend volunteering, learning new hobbies, and also helping other people along their investment journeys so that they can get more passive income and choose how they are spending their time. This podcast is not about private jets and Ferraris, but if that's what you want, we'll figure out a way to get it. The thing is, I found that most people aren't after that. Most people are really rewarded by having their time freedom back and being able to spend that being playful with the people that they love who are most important in their lives spending their time in places that are interesting, new, and beautiful, and being able to give back to their communities. That usually requires a little bit of giving up, giving up of your time, giving up of your time, being able to work on projects that might earn you more money than volunteering would. But what we're here to do is share our story as we are along this passive income adventure journey and to put you in contact with other people who are working on the same thing so that you can add them to your network and be in their network because that is how we get done. Like I said in the show, networking is the only thing you really cannot delegate and it is the most important thing that we do because you can find whatever you need that you are missing or lacking inside of your network if you spend enough time cultivating that and following up with the people that you meet along this journey. 
I'm happy that you've chosen to spend your time with us. I know it is the most valuable resource that we are all chasing after while we're having more passive income adventures. Be sure to reach out to BD after you're done listening and be sure to check out my website at www.highrise.group. We've got some investments on there that you can currently get involved in. I've got a one-to-one accountability challenge that you can work on some of your goals with some help from somebody who's been there, done that and somebody who really cares about you reaching your goals with passive income investing. Also, while we're out hiking the Arizona Trail as a family, we have a YouTube channel we've started on YouTube at Passive Income Adventures, and it'll just show you what we're doing with our time when we are out of the rat race and don't have to worry about the income from a nine to five. I want to be able to share the difficulties, the triumphs, the joys, the pain of figuring out how to bring this all together. Because when you first quit your job, it is a massive pay cut. How do you overcome that? Still live your best life while you're always working on upgrading that lifestyle where you have more time and ability to spend it with the people, the causes, and in the places that you love, being able to give back and lift up others. That's what we're all about here on the Passive Income adventure. And I can't wait to hear more about yours. Thank you for joining us today.